Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You want to talk to me about the Federal Register? I would be happy to. (laughs) Okay, so for the people who are listening who don't know what the Federal Register is, I have a definition here written by the government that says, published by the Office of the Federal Register, the Federal Register, which is, I think is funny, the Office of the Federal Register, the Federal Register is the official daily publication for rules, proposed rules, and notices of federal agencies and organizations, as well as executive orders and other presidential documents. And we're going to link to the to the federal register um to to get you started going there uh listeners but i found one i found something that i want to ask you about so it's interesting to me the department of justice office of justice programs bureau of justice statistics intends to request approval from the office of management and budget for a generic information collection clearance that will allow bjs to conduct a variety of cognitive pilot and fields test studies bjs will submit the request for review and approval in accordance with the paperwork reduction act of 1995 it then goes on to ask for comments by March 29th, 2019, and then to list contact information, to list further information. So they're putting out a notice that they're going to ask for something. Mm-hmm. Not we're asking for something, but we're going to ask for something. Yes. Um, basically what the Department of Justice um, is doing, and they've announced it in the Federal Register, is that they're going to ask the Office of Management and Budget to review um, something that they want to do in the future. Um, And basically, this is known as notice and comment rulemaking. Uh, It's uh, more formally known as informal rulemaking. Um, All federal agencies, if they are about ready to engage in the execution of law, or, you know, whether it be through... uh, a regulation um, or something substantive that they want to do, um, they have to follow uh, a federal law that was passed in 1946 known as the Administrative Procedures Act. That act basically is uh, known by many federal bureaucrats as the their Bible, okay? <laughs> They're supposed to follow it, and if they do, um, it usually means that whatever they're doing is going to be fine in regards to the law okay and and what is what is this act what okay so what did you say bas- the name of the act is the, the administrative procedures act of 1946 so the, the, for the listeners a federal agency uh, has the authority to act because congress has passed a law that says in this case the department of justice Um, We want you to be able to do surveys to figure out X, okay? So, you know, that's in uh, in a piece of legislation known as authorizing legislation. They're authorized to do this, okay? So PL number, 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 hyphen, number, number. 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 Yes, (laughs) okay. Says the Department Department of Justice Justice can go survey 
you know, for X reasons. For the X reason. Okay. Does it also give them money to do that? Okay, that it comes that comes in a different piece of legislation, an appropriations bill. So we're going to get to that later. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay, so basically, Congress passes two different types of bills, either authorizing legislation, which basically says to the executive branch, some agency within it, you're authorized to do this. But agencies really can't do anything unless they also get money. Okay. Ah, okay. so they can authorize and not give you money, money, but that's their way of getting cover. Yeah, that's for like, yeah. oh, no, we, you can do that if you can find the funds for it. Yeah, that's but what we're not going to give you any money to do that. Yeah, that's what uh, uh, in a conference paper that I wrote many years ago, me and a colleague um, at Virginia Tech, uh, Kevin Long, we referred to it as public policy light. That's where ah. that's where the Congress says to the agency, yeah, you have the authority to do this, but we're not giving you any money. And as Nia just pointed out, that basically gives cover to Congress. Congress can go ahead and say, well, we said to we gave the executive branch the authority to solve this problem. We didn't say you couldn't do it. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, of course, it's not the, our fault. You don't have money. hanging around. <laughs> OK. And the bureaucracy, which is usually nameless and faceless and, you know, is never heard of. OK. <laughs> won't go ahead and say, but you guys didn't give us any money to do it. You know, it's kind of sort of like if your parents went ahead and said, oh, sure, you could go ahead and do X with your friends. And then you say, oh, you can drive, you can take the car to Mexico. Yes. There's no gas in it. And I'm not giving you money to put gas in it, but you could push it to Mexico if you wanted to. Yes. Okay. But let's just say. In, <laughs> Which from Virginia would be quite the, yeah, quite, quite the trip. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want to know how you got money for the gas. Really, we don't. <laughs> okay. But in this particular situation, assuming that the Congress gave the Department of Justice the money to do these surveys, according to the APA, or the Administrative Procedures Act, and um, the acronym is the APA. Wow. Uh, not uh, to be confused with the citation <laughs> manual or with the American Psychological <laughs> Association. Association. Yes. Uh, there's only so many acronyms, aren't there? Yes, there are. Uh, despite our best efforts to come up with more. <laughs> um, so an agency wants to go ahead and do these surveys. Um, they basically, according to the AP, uh, APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, have to give notice to the public, but also... Uh, because of um, other requirements, the Office of Management and Budget, which basically does um, a kind of sort of cost scoring. The Office of Management and Budget will want to make sure that whatever benefit the Department of Justice claims will accrue from doing these surveys is worth the cost. Okay. Oh, so we're going to find out whether people prefer broccoli or cauliflower is probably not going to be <laughs> worth the five billion dollars yeah. that you would yeah. have that it would cost to survey the American public populace. Yes. And and also with what Nia read just a few moments ago makes reference to the fact that uh, in the past agencies would issue proposed rules or proposed actions in hard copy paper. But because of the Paperwork Reduction <laughs> Act, they now do this online. Okay? And in another podcast, we actually talk about the Paperwork Reduction <laughs> Act. That, that's um, where um, uh, I, I go ahead and ruin Nia's childhood by pointing out all the flaws in the Schoolhouse Rock video, I'm Just a Bill. But 
you know, that's, childhood killer. Yes. Okay. That's Crusher. A, that's a little foreshadowing for you know. I want to tease you guys, right? So, but back to this particular uh, proposed action. So, according to the APA, most of what agencies do is considered informal rulemaking or informal regulations, and the process is known as notice and comment. So, as Nia uh, uh, read to you all. Basically, the Department of Justice provided notice that they wanted to do X. They want to do these surveys, right? And then they asked for comments, comments by a certain date. date. Okay. And they give you the play, they give you the contact information, which is sporting of them. Otherwise, you'd have to try to figure out who yes. who you were supposed to comment to. So that is that so that I can That's, say as a person, I don't think you should be doing this survey. I think it's a waste of time or money or in some way it's going to harm me. Me or, you know, it might violate privacy, whatever the case may be. You as an individual, and let's be very clear, typically only those stakeholders who are really interested in what a particular agency does actually read the Federal Register, right? I mean, But everybody should, should read, read the, the Federal, Federal Register. This should be the first thing you do in the morning, pop it open on your phone, catch up with what's going on. Okay, I know that's yeah. not going to happen. But but, 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 to, but if you did yeah. have a, a stake in it, I mean, it, for instance, to not be ugly, but the, the wall that's been discussed at the southern border, there are people whose land would be directly affected by building a wall there, right? Their, so, yeah, their property they, might be divided. So they have a stake in yes. commenting. They have a stake so in when saying— that was, So when that executive order was issued by the Trump administration um, uh, uh, in the Federal Register, um, it will have contact information and a deadline for you to go ahead and provide commentary if you want or comments that if you want it okay and those individuals would want to go ahead and do that does the agency have to read the comments uh no <laughs> so you might just be yelling into the darkness i mean like nothing will happen when when i uh, it's, although it's in their best interest to read them right because yes. they might be overlooking something, something yes but the way I explain informal rulemaking to my students is this. It's symbolic. It's symbolic politics. The Administrative Procedures Act was passed by Congress after the New Deal, where the federal government bureaucracy grew dramatically, where the authority of the federal government, but particularly the executive branch, increased in very significant ways. And what Congress was hearing from the public, but typically, you know, again, important stakeholders was how do we make sure that agencies were giving a process to the affected public by those who would be affected by all these new regulations, all these new federal government programs? And Congress's response was, okay, we want the executive branch to be able to act. I mean, we've created a large administrative state, okay, to do this. But at the same time, how do we make sure that basic uh, American, if you will, democratic principles or values are being maintained. And one of the most important ones in the U.S. Constitution is due process. Let's give Americans a process to where they can, okay, at least give feedback to these agencies that, you know, we in Congress have given the authority to act. In many ways, it's like the U.S. Constitution uh, that was written by the framers. On one hand, we give the federal government the authority to act, but then we also make it very difficult 
for the government to actually act. So you have the requirement that both houses of Congress have to pass a bill. The president has to sign it into law. Um, and then it can be challenged in the courts. That's all time consuming. The government can act. It's just a little bit more difficult because we want to make sure that it's acting in the public's best interest. So we, we like the adversarial process sure. because that yeah, yeah, that but, means that, it, one, it, gets, it slows everything down so people can't just leap out there and do something the next day unless there's a true emergency. Yeah, I mean, the awesome, it, power, yeah, the awesome power of government is not, okay, just, you know, immediately going to happen. The, the the notice and comment provision of an informal of informal rulemaking in the Administrative Procedures Act forced the agency to one do research before they issue the proposed rule or you know what we're going to do you know we're going to do surveys well have you thought about why you want to do surveys well you know most agencies will go ahead and say okay so why do we want to do these uh, these surveys uh, which is what you were describing with the uh, the example here in the Federal Register. So the APA forces the agency to do work up front. Then they tell the public, this is what we are proposing to do. And then the public has an opportunity. It forces the agency, you know, to wait 30 days to do something. Okay? To be responsive, theoretically, yeah, yeah, to, to be, be responsive. responsive. Now, to your question a few moments ago, do they have to pay attention to the comments? And I said, no. With informal rulemaking, they don't. But if the agency wants to go ahead and, you know, cover themselves, particularly if they get challenged in court, they will go ahead and show how they responded to the comments, why they disregarded some, but they considered others. Okay. Um, do they incorporate things from the comments? I mean, do they withdraw and then incorporate things from comments and then come back again? Oh, sure. I mean... Okay, so uh, yeah, they are responsive, responsive. Yeah, but they don't... Some of the time, but yeah, they don't have, have to be. be. There's no law that says you have to care. Yeah, okay. But it's smart for them to care for a variety for of reasons, reasons, right? They, they'll they'll catch mistakes, but they'll also show that they are a part of a res representative democracy, right? Like, yes, you, I mean... You, it's railroading people is probably not a good idea... Okay. Yeah. In the long run. It's not good in regards to the agency's uh, relationship with the affected public. It's not good for the agency in regards to its relationship with Congress. Because, you know, many people who feel, if they feel as though a regulation um, uh, harms them, uh, will complain to their member of Congress. I was going to say, they're not just fussing to the agency. <laughs> they're also fussing to You know, to the, their, their representative or their U.S. senator. And if that doesn't work, okay, then they might, and, and they have the resources to hire good attorneys, then lawsuits are filed. You know, huh. and when okay. lawsuits are filed, okay. Uh, everything stops. Yeah, everything right. stops until a court, you know, decides whether or not, you know, the agency actually followed, wait for it, the Administrative Procedures Act, <laughs> okay. Ah, hence the Bible. <laughs> hence the Bible, right? Okay, because it comes back to that yeah, because, over and over and over. Because if the agency follows what the APA requires in terms of process, usually most courts, even if they disagree with the substance of what, you know, of the rule or what the agency wants to do, okay, federal courts will go ahead and say, well, they followed the APA. And that's what Congress requires of them. 
So if the other political branch says this is what the executive branch has to do, we're generally going to go ahead and defer. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Um, now, that's one type of agency action, informal rulemaking. There are two others. Okay. Uh, one's known as formal rulemaking. Okay. Agencies hate formal rulemaking. <laughs> okay. Um, do they have to? Do they have to wear like a tie and tails? And they <laughs> no, have no, to, no, please tell me there are pearls involved. <laughs> no, no, you know. It's not that kind of formality. Oh, because that would be awesome. Okay, so I'm going to go back to <laughs> putting on the Ritz. <laughs> you would like it, you know. Me as somebody who you know prefers to go ahead and teach most of his classes in jeans or cargo shorts, I would be like, "Are you kidding me? No." <laughs> <laughs> you want me to do what? Okay, Is so that, you've worn the suit three times, right? You're your oh. wedding, your daughter's first dance, and eventually my, your, your funeral. funeral. <laughs> yes, right. As my students like to say, um, Augie, did somebody die if I show up <laughs> in a suit? That's true. You have done Constitution Day in a suit, which I think is very nice. Yes, uh, and, and, and in part because it is the Constitution, and, and also in part you asked me to do it. Right. Okay, okay. Uh, and you were working with Dr. Kneebone, who always wears a suit. I, I'm pretty much sure that he gardens in suits. I think he does, <laughs> too. He's awesome. <laughs> right. Okay. Great guy. And I'm just like, well, if he's going to be wearing it, I mean, I don't want to <laughs> go. Wanna, you want to look like that guy standing next to him. <laughs> well, you know, he, he makes the effort. I figure the least I could do. <laughs> right. Okay. So back to authorizing uh, legislation. So formal. Okay. So let's say... Most of the time, Congress, when they authorize a, an agency to do something, uh, will just go ahead and say informal rulemaking may be used. But occasionally, Congress will go ahead and say formal rulemaking. Now, with formal rulemaking, it's a lot like a hearing. So the agency will issue a proposed rule in the Federal Register. And so that's the starting point no matter what. what? Yes. they. If we're going to make a rule, rule about anything—, anything Yes. We put it in the Federal, Federal Register. Register. So we have to tell, tell people. people. We can't just sneak around making rules Yes, and not have people know yes. that those are going to be the rules. Yeah, that, that doesn't mean internal rules of the way you run your department. No. That, um, that's external, external yes. rules. Rules that will affect the, the public. public. That's right. Okay. okay. Have to be. Yeah, they have and that, to. And is that back to the APA? You have yes, to announce them uh, in yes. a formal, I yes. mean, in a, in a written or, in this case, digital now. But, but Yeah, they have to be listed in the Federal Register. Um, now, with formal rulemaking, um, uh, again, the agency will have to tell the public, we want comments by a certain day or time, or we are going to have hearings. And they have to list the days and times and the locations. And these are hearings on the record. And again, agencies don't like this because with informal rulemaking, they will receive the comments, but their internal deliberations as to why they may reject all the comments or accept some and not others, they don't have to say that on the record. But with formal rulemaking, they have to do it on the record. Oh, so it, there's oaths involved in public yes, okay. things involved. Yeah, okay. That's, okay. And... And this is not. Do they have to do them around the country, uh, or well, do they generally do them around the country to get a? No, generally they do them in Washington D.C. 
because that's where most federal agencies are headquartered. Right. But depending on the rule or depending on what the authorizing legislation says, they may have to do them around the country. So so the example of the wall, like if if you're talking about something like that where they're they're going to propose building the wall, they would probably Congress would make them do some at the board, like in the yes. border areas, mm-hmm. rather than making people in Southwest Texas or New go Mexico to DC or, or Arizona or, Arizona yeah. or yeah. California yeah. go to DC. That's right. They would say you have to do some of them there, and you can do some of them up here, but you have to give the local people access to you. Yeah, to it, you as an agency, agency or to you as the people who work in the agency. And here's the thing about the example you just used in regards to the wall. The wall, okay, is an executive order. Right, I know. That's not the same thing. Okay, It's not the same thing. But again, if you're a president and you want to get more support. Ah, you hold a lot of rallies really and stuff down at the <laughs> yes. border. Yeah, there you go. That's dashed clever, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, so... One should always remember about this president, whatever one may feel about his politics, and you are welcome to feel whatever you want to feel. He's very good at public, um, how how the public thinks and how to reach the public. He's very good at media. He's been doing that a long time. That's been part of his career all along has been that in part he's, and I don't say this pejoratively, he's a showman. He's a he, and, and, he's, and, and he's he, able to con- connect with people, and they say that in person, like when you're at a rally, he's very powerful as a speaker, which has been true of many of our presidents. presidents. They're better in person. They're better when you can kind of get the feel of how they're working the crowd in a good way. I mean, that's just what they do. That's how politicians are successful. When people say he's not been in politics, I think they're probably not very accurate about that. Well, and he intuitively knows that. Uh, when the president goes ahead and announces something, the media focuses, right? I mean, that's the difference between the president and Congress. There's 435, or excuse me, <laughs> 535 members of yeah, Congress. Yeah, let's just blow off the Senate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, let's not. No. There's I five, want to be the junior senator from Virginia, Virginia. remember? Yes. So you have thir- 535 members of, of, of Congress. Um, many of them are not even well-known in their own state or d- d- say, d- district, right? How many of them are actually do you actually see on the, on the media channels? Yeah, right? But You're if, probably seeing about 100. But even our most boring presidents, if they say anything, the media reports it. It's in the nightly news. It's on the, you know, ticker down at the bottom of, mm-hmm. you know, CNN. It's the power of the presidents. Okay, yes, okay. Um, the bully pulpit. It's the bully pulpit, right? You know, it, it started with Teddy Roosevelt. It's the notion that, you know, the president goes public and this president goes public. Now, some of you might say, wow, he goes public way too often. You know, see his, you know, Twitter account, you know, you know, you know tweets in the middle of the night. On the other hand, OK, he understands, OK, that Americans okay, respond to that either positively or negatively. And again, he comes from an environment or a background where news media is generally considered good, even when it's bad. That's true. That's yeah. true. A lot of both his Hollywood work and his, his real estate, estate work, work okay. is about being known. That's right. Whatever you're known for. for. I mean, unless you're known as a homicidal maniac, which he is not. He is no, not known no, as a homicidal no, maniac. But, so as long as you're not known yeah. for something like that, 
uh, no no press is bad press, press as, it, as were. it were. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even think about the cleverness, though, of holding rallies down there as part of following up on your executive order. orders. Okay, uh, but with formal sort of rules, drumming up support. support. Yeah, but with or or I suppose in some ways, if your crowds were tiny and booing you, that would also be a response you would want to know. Yes. I don't have the support that I thought I had. Yeah, think about uh, uh, President Obama's executive order to clo- uh, uh, close Guantanamo Bay as a detention facility in the global war on terrorism. He announced it, um, and in various rallies, people were very supportive. But who wasn't supportive? Members of Congress, including his own party. And therefore, he never got the money to close Guantanamo Bay. So you can say sure anything you want as an executive, executive order. order. I executive order that you know uh, that there be no more broccoli. Yes. Uh, I okay. brought this up with Bill Newman. Newman. Yeah, uh, okay. Which listeners will hear about in another episode. But but you can't do that. When you can, you can you say, say there's, there's no more broccoli, broccoli, but if Congress doesn't find some way to help you build a anti-broccoli wall, yeah, and, 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 and prevent and, and trade the, from broccoli. And by the way, if you take a look at, you know, any congressional farm bill, there are subsidies for, wait for it, broccoli farmers. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we want broccoli gr- grown. Well, okay. And broccoli's good for us. Okay. Everybody should eat broccoli. Yes. Okay. The Food and Drug Administration highly recommends the consumption <laughs> of broccoli. Okay. I just used it as an example. But, but that's all right. Okay, it, it illustrates, you know, larger points here about the, uh, the federal register, right? Well, and about the federal government, you you can declare any, I can declare broccoli as a no-go for whatever through an executive order if I'm president. But if we're funding broccoli <laughs> and we're, and the Commerce Department is encouraging trade in broccoli, right, like I would have to change a lot of different R- rules, rules in order to kill all the broccoli. Yes. So that's a good thing because yes, the government, it makes it really hard to eradicate any one thing. Yes. Because it's spread out over so many agencies, and, and, hence the Federal Register. Sorry, and then that leads to the criticism that the federal government is so big, it's almost impossible to get it to change. On the other hand... It's so big, it's, it's almost impossible, impossible to, to get change. it to change. <laughs> yes. So that's not a... I mean, that's a positive it, and a negative. And it's an accountability measure, okay? Because just because a particular president doesn't <laughs> like broccoli, okay, doesn't mean the rest of the country should. Right. 41 did not care for broccoli. That's the reason yes. uh, it was yeah, dear President, to my heart because yes. 41 was dear to my heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. President, um, President Bush, uh, number 41, uh, the first one, he didn't like broccoli. He infamously— He did not make an executive order, by no. the way, in case the listeners are wondering. Yeah. I, he did not make an executive order about broccoli. He just was not yeah. a fan. Yeah, and the media had a field day about it. And by the way, there's also a comparable West Wing episode where I think <laughs> Bartlett doesn't like green beans. Right? Ah, okay. And as his uh, 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 press secretary, uh, uh, CJ, says, he just doesn't like green beans. He doesn't. It's not like he thinks green bean farmers are, are like, you know, idiots or, you know, bad people. He just doesn't like green beans. Right. <laughs> Which was President Bush's view of broccoli. <laughs> he, he wasn't anti-broccoli like, for other people. He just didn't want it on uh, his plate. Yes. Right. OK. I don't like lima beans. I know a whole bunch of people who love lima beans. I think that they're a little crazy, but nevertheless, <laughs> that's all right. If I was president, let live. yeah, that's right. Okay, I don't understand tea drinkers, but there's a whole <laughs> bunch of people who drink tea. God bless you. 
Okay. <laughs> Leaving more coffee for you as if you needed more coffee. I'm pretty sure you don't have blood. You just have coffee in your veins. Uh, that's what my colleague Sal- uh, Chris Saladino has to say. He's pretty much sure that uh, if they ever attempted to draw blood, they won't find any. <laughs> what they will find is coffee. Okay. Um, but we digress. We do digress, as we often do. Okay, so we're back to formal rules. Okay, agencies don't necessarily like them because they have to do things on the record. It's a more formal process. Those who want to comment, okay, um, uh, can do so either in writing or if hearings are required by Congress, they can actually, you know, testify. So the, 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 the burden on the agency to uh, give reasoned decision-making with formal rulemaking is much more onerous with formal rulemaking. Congress hardly ever requires it. Probably the best example is some environmental regulations have to go through formal rulemaking, okay? Uh, And in particular, uh, the authorizing legislation for the Environmental Protection Agency um, has in some instances specified that it's formal rulemaking with cost-benefit analysis. Um, And agencies struggle with cost-benefit analysis in part because how do you measure in dollar amounts things like better air quality or better water quality? Or if we have better water quality, then people are going to live a longer life. Okay, and how do we measure that benefit? Because then you have to start making assumptions, well, they're actually going to do something productive with their longer life, (laughs) and some people won't, okay? But we have... Well, and the assumption that it's just air that will save you over a longer life isn't necessarily the case. Lots of people live in places where the smog is horrific, and they still manage to live. Yes, and, and relatively productive lives. They may not have good lungs, but they have relatively productive lives. How do you figure those things out? I can then, see where that would be very And then there's people who live in Montana where there's no air pollution and they die when they're 45 because there's other intervening variables. Right. And how do you measure that, right? Oh. Yeah, see, that's part. Oh, look, that's hard. Yeah, that is hard, right? And we give, we being the public through our elected officials in Congress, give these experts in agencies, whether it be the Department of Justice doing surveys to measure impact of various policies, the Environmental Protection Agency, well, you know, if we require automobiles to have higher gas mileage and less air pollution, well, what will be the impact of that? Well, one of the things that the EPA then has to assume is, will the number of Americans driving in cars Will they drive as much as they currently do? And these are all things that these are experts we have tasked with making projections, assumptions, and they have to do it on the record with formal rulemaking. Oh, painful. Yes, it's, it, it, it's very painful. Because you're, in some ways you're also risking your career. If you're wrong. Wrong. That's right. You then re- you're, it's well known that you were wrong. You yes. were that guy. Yeah. If, you know, if you're the agency, uh, you know, if you're the director of the Environmental Protection Agency and you decide not to go ahead and um, uh, uh, regulate um, seatbelts. Seatbelts. Uh, well, that wouldn't be the EPA. That would oh, be right, the no. National Highway Transportation yeah, right. Safety Wrong Agency. Yeah. Okay. 
It's like a drinking game, listeners, trying to figure out which agency sometimes <laughs> controls <laughs> what. Yeah, right. And sometimes more than one agency has a dog in the fight, and there's yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 like the example I give in regards to gun control. Um, if Congress ever passed uh, significant gun control, it wouldn't just be uh, ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Okay, even though the name implies. Which, which, which would suggest that. You're also talking about the FBI, the DEA, because with, you know, the drug enforcement, drug dealers frequently, um, shall we say, enforce their deals (laughs) with firearms. Okay. Um, You have commerce with the um, Secret Service. That's right. Okay. Because frequently attacks made on presidents are made with firearms. Okay. Um, Not always, but Okay. Um, and, And then, you know, a lot of this will get outsourced to states. So then you got to monitor what states do. And, of course, my students, they're all like, wow, I'm bleary-eyed. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. It's complicated. Pull a thread here and you, you bunch up the sweater on a completely different side. Yes. Right? That's why you should never yank a, a thread on your sweater because <laughs> that thing's going to come right <laughs> off. <of it>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because that's how this works. It, it's and, and it's designed to work that way. It's designed in some ways to be inefficient in part because you don't want people to be able to make that rule, push it through, and get it done in a really short period of time without there being a chance for people to go, whoa, 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 that harms me in some way. Yeah, and, and, and you know, so what, I think the whether formal be, we, the, the formal is interesting because you allow people to actually speak. Yes. Um, which can be both good and bad. If anybody's ever been to a a local (laughs) city council meeting, um, that's always fascinating. And I encourage you to go as a listener. If you've never been to one in your local city, you should should go to one. You should go. Because it's fascinating. And there'll be people there who'll be brilliant and well-spoken. And there will be people there who who are just not well mentally. Um, but for it, a variety of reasons, and they still have the right to speak because they should, because we are, we are a country that recognizes everyone's right to speak and everyone's right to free speech. That's the whole First Amendment thing. But, but, but other, it is fascinating to but, listen but, to. Yeah, but the other, in, in one of the other purposes of government hearings, is, is to actually, as the word suggests, hear what your neighbors, other people of the community, whether it be. A local city council hearing, so you're talking about you know your community, your your city, your your town, or a, a state hearing, or in the case of the federal government, what's ever other people in the United States thinking? I mean, that's why these you know transcripts of government hearings to me are fascinating, because you actually get to read or hear what other people in your quote unquote community, you know, what's important to them, what's not. You know, why is this interest group against perhaps these Department of Justice surveys, right? Is it a privacy group? Is it a group of advocates for the people who might have to do the surveys? Why are they concerned, right? Because, you know, if the Department of Justice wanted to survey me, okay, I I would normally be like, well, why? (laughs) You know, like, you know, why would I be of interest to the Department of Justice? But others will be like... Well, what, what do they want to know, and yeah, why do they, they want to know, know it, and where are they going to put the information, and what are they going to do with the information? And okay, I mean, there would be some concern about like so your privacy and your. So uh, a future podcast that Nia is going to be doing uh, with another VCU professor is going to be looking at 
the U.S. Census? And what questions will go on the census? And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I get that, you know, stupid form every 10 years and, you know, I may get around to filling it out. But for others, if it's done in person and it asks questions like, are you a citizen or, you know, how did you become a U.S. citizen? These are all very invasive questions. Right. Why they can be completely terrifying. Right. Yes. Why would I want where where some of us it's just another damn government form. <laughs> I got who else like, really? <laughs> this is like my taxes. <laughs> right, right. My registration for my car and all the things I have to go do. Yeah, You're I mean, right, but it could be very distressing sure. for people. And and that's why, for instance, um, you know, we just using the example of the proposed questions on the US census and why there's been a federal court case. It's now going to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, it first came out as a proposed uh, U.S. Census uh, action. In it, the Federal Register. Right, it got listed in the Federal Register, right? And that's where... The ACLU saw so it they, they and like, said, oh, heck no. no. Heck no, we're not doing this. This is not okay. Or And other groups, too. I'm not just picking on no, them. Yeah, just pointing out the ACLU. But, and by the way, that's a really good, it's a really good example of formal rulemaking because the U.S. Census Bureau is a unit of the Commerce Department. The Commerce Department's authorizing legislation requires that not only does the Census Bureau list any potential changes to the census survey form, but they do it via formal rulemaking. So they have to have hearings. That's right. And that's at the heart. Oh, my. That's but, at but it makes sense, right, because yes. the census is actually mentioned in the Constitution. I mean, like, you're you're messing with – when you start making changes to the census that could potentially limit the number of people who are being counted, there are huge, huge ramifications for that. The, the, the implications. Going forward – implications, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, no, but, I mean, um, but, you know, seriously, I mean, you're talking about uh, the amount of uh, a federal uh, uh, aid uh, dollars that go to states because it's – Typically based on the population of a state. Well, and you're talking about representation in Congress, which the is electoral, huge. The Electoral College. Which, as we know, can have dramatic <laughs> effects on our elections. See 2016 presidential <laughs> election. So And see 2000 presidential, presidential election. election. I mean, yeah. It's not just this one. There have been others that have been. And It's a big deal to change the it, census. It's a good thing that it's. And the decision-making of the director of the U.S. Census is at the heart of the federal court case. And I believe that current job is empty. Oh, no. There's is the, that? No. I thought somebody resigned. <laughs> well, it, it could. It's the Trump, Trump administration. Anyways, I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> that was too easy. That was. I'm sorry. I, I lobbed that in your general direction. You were required to hit it. Yes, required right. to swing. The third type of rulemaking. Um, because, you know, and it's, it's one that is mentioned in the APA. Agencies have to be cautious about using the third type. The third type is known as interpretive rulemaking. Oh, is it like dance? (laughs) Interpretive dance? Martha Graham? It can be that subjective. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. So that's complicated. Okay. Basically, with interpretive rules, what an agency is doing is um, uh, uh, issuing instructions on how 
they're going to go about doing their job. So let's say the United States Congress passes, oh, Title IX. Okay. <laughs> okay. Title IX uh, is, uh, 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 were amendments to the 1972 Education Act. Okay. Wait, title IX. Yes. Where is the title from? Uh, it refers to uh, the code uh, or the section of the U.S. Uh, code, which is the U.S. federal law. Okay. So, and that's by titles. Yes, it, it, yeah, they go by I titles. I can't remember how many there are, but it's there's all sixty or seventy some titles. Yeah, yes, the, the, there's a bunch. Right. <laughs> technical <laughs> language. Technical language. There's a whole bunch of those in the law. Okay. Okay. And, so and, it's and, referring and, to a specific part of the United the States, States Code. Code. Okay, uh, which is the body of federal law that we all are subject to. That's right. Title IX refers specifically uh, to the fact that uh, and this was passed in 1972 that there should be equal opportunities um, no matter one's gender um, in public education, K through 12, but also colleges, okay? Now, it commonly is talked about with sports, isn't it? With very that true. You have, to, you have to fund women's sports in the same way that you fund men's sports. sports. That's right. So um, even if men's sports bring in more money, it doesn't matter to universities. Yes, that's, right. that's not what's relevant. That's right. What's relevant is that they need to be equally. Well, they you, need to be treated equally. Yeah, tr- basically equal opportunity for both men and women. And as Neo uh, pointed out, you know, for easily well into uh, the Bush two administration. So you know, we're talking the roughly first thirty thirty five years of Title IX. The emphasis was on equal opportunity, first with athletics, but then just educational opportunities. You know, so if a college or university had certain scholarships set aside for that typically went to men, they would also have to be available to women, right? Um, uh, but then the Obama administration issued an interpretive rule. They reinterpreted Title IX to include um, not only equal opportunity um, in regards to athletics, educational opportunities, but then also um, uh, that colleges and universities, if they wanted to continue to receive federal aid, federal funding, and it's not just student aid, but research grants, et cetera, um, had to do a better job in regards to prohibiting sexual harassment and sexual assault on their campuses. Interpretive rules don't have to go through either informal or formal rulemaking. Do they have to be announced in the Federal Register? Yes, they do. So all rules, every rule of any kind has to be mentioned in the Federal Federal Register. Register. Yes. So that people can react. Yes. Now, for agencies, the value of an interpretive rule is they don't have to go through either the informal or formal rulemaking process. All you got to do is listen in the Federal Register and say, we're reinterpreting this. By the way, the IRS does this all the time, <laughs> right? And that's where, you know, tax accountants and tax attorneys are like, yeah, we're, we can't go ahead and list that deduction anymore. Sorry, Nia. Okay. So, you know, um, if, you claim, I, if you claim your living room is being used, okay, for that crafts business you got on the side, yeah, you can't do that anymore. And you're like, oh, really? Okay. Um, but, but it was a, just listed in the, the federal, federal register, register, right? which is why tax law is so complicated. Yes, because these kinds of changes happen all the time. Well, in regards to interpreting Title IX, 
this was huge, okay, because um, basically colleges and universities had to get their act together in regards to stopping sexual harassment and sexual assault on their campuses or they risked all this federal money that they get. And while you can't stop harassment on campus, you have to put in place mechanisms for dealing with it when it's reported, mechanisms for helping both the reporter and the reportee, right? I mean, there has to be representation. There's now all these different rules than there used to be. Yes. and On campuses just in the last few years years. because um, they're trying to set up a system to to not just ignore yes or um you know gloss over or whatever which well, universities yeah, and, had done in the, in the past, past. I mean, and in some cases they hadn't known what to do there are now officers on campuses that are attached to campuses who can help like who can guide the process yes and, in and, ways that weren't there I mean, before and then there were serious allegations you know colleges universities uh covering up sexual assaults because you know it would be bad pr right or uh, not actually dealing with sexual harassment. So how can you have equal opportunity? I mean, the logic of the Obama administration was, how can you say you're offering equal opportunity when certain members of your community are not protected, protected, right? Um, The downside of an interpretive rule is the next presidential administration can go ahead and reinterpret and they don't have to go through either informal or formal rulemaking. So what did the Trump administration do? Uh, Well, uh, late last year, uh, the Department of Education for the Trump administration reinterpreted Title IX back to its more historical, if you will, interpretation. Not as much focus on sexual harassment and sexual assault and more on your generic equal opportunity in regards to athletics and educational opportunity. And um, there was, there's been very little that those who wanted the Obama administration interpretation can do because the Obama administration used an interpretive rule. Ah. It's okay. The, 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 the equivalent is uh, executive orders. So I was going to ask you that. So is that it's a similar it, thing? It, it's very I much can like, say I am banning broccoli, and, and the then next, you're the president after the next me, pres- and you're like, I love yeah. broccoli. I want all the broccoli, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't stand. That's right. So, um, uh, but it has to be undone. Executive orders apparently have to be undone, right? They don't just they have to be rescinded. So to give you an example, uh, so earlier on in this episode. I went ahead and mentioned that Barack Obama issued an executive order to close Guantanamo Bay. Right. One of the first executive orders that the Trump administration issued was, no, we're going to keep it. And the Obama executive order was rescinded. Okay. Likewise, with interpretive rules. It all, just replaces the rule. Yeah. And, and though federal courts, okay, will accuse agencies of being arbitrary and capricious. Yeah, I was going to say flippy-floppy, wishy-washy, wishy-washy. wishy-washy. Okay. Um, usually the agency will go ahead and say, but the previous leadership of the agency issued an interpretive rule, and according to the Administrative Procedures Act, we didn't have to go through a reasoned, deliberative, okay, decision-making process. 
and federal judges' hands are tied. That's annoying. Yes, it is. But I can see why you would, I can see as an executive why you would want that power. Sure. Again, as I explained to my students, you know, understand agencies would really like to do almost all their work with interpretive roles. I mean, hey, remember, they're the experts. Okay. On the other hand, from a democratic accountability, <laughs> okay, if, 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 if that's a value, we want agencies to at least use informal rulemaking, even if it's just, you know, typically political symbolism or formal rulemaking, because interpretive rules can be changed by the next administration, and there's basically very little that can be done. They're arbitrary. Yes. I don't like that. And, you know, hey, <laughs> usually... When I'm president, <laughs> I'm going to fix that. Okay. There's probably no way to fix that. Uh, I mean, unless you can convince Congress to go ahead and... Uh, and change the act, right? Yeah, They'd yeah, have to... Yeah, update the Administrative Procedures Act and say... Um, agencies no longer have the authority to issue interpretive rules. Or the other thing that Congress can do is with authorizing legislation, explicitly forbid an agency from using interpretive rules. And that hardly ever happens because agencies, much like important stakeholders or important interest groups, will try to lobby and influence Congress. Don't tie our hands. Remember, you're giving us uh, the authority to act because we're the experts. Well, and and there's the idea that um, if you do this, it, anything that happens in Congress, one of the reasons I think that they don't want to use what they always call the nuclear option, which is a little terrifying um, <clears throat> as a phrase, is because you will eventually be the party in power. Oh, sure. And you will want to be able to do things... Well, there's also in this in a, in a way that advantages you. So if all, you remove that advantage because you're trying to harm the other party, you in the short term may get that. You may you may in fact harm the other party, but in the long term, that's going to come back and harm you when you want to do that thing and are not able to do that thing. Yeah, so I'm assuming that that's one of the reasons they don't remove it. Yeah, is I mean, because it, they are aware that administrations change. Yeah, Nia is referring to the fact uh, the so-called nuclear option uh, refers to um, the uh, confirmation process in the United States Senate in regards to uh, federal judge nominations um, and giving the minority party the opportunity to use debate to um, uh, uh, to basically f- uh, forestall uh, a vote on a nominee. Now, the that nuclear option, getting rid of the debate, okay, has now basically made it very easy for the Republicans in the Senate to get, you know, all all manner of nominees to the federal courts through. Okay, um, so. You know, to the point in regards to agency authority to engage in rulemaking or engage in substantive behavior, you don't want to go ahead and remove interpretive rules because you don't like how a current presidential administration is using them. Because, hey, you know, if you're a political party, you hope that you will, like, after the next election, have your person in the office of president. But it's also a recognition from Congress that it's slow to act. So 
if you t- no. if you tie them, Congress is slow to act. <laughs> I know this is shocking. Shocking! I'm shocking that there is gambling going on no, in this, this establishment. establishment. Yes, nice Casablanca reference. I uh, thank you. <laughs> okay, um, so Congress understands that conditions uh, on the ground, conditions in America, uh, frequently change, and that if there's one branch that is best equipped to respond to those changes, it's the executive branch. So even if you disagree with the Obama administration's interpretive rule about Title IX, you understand that, um, hey, colleges and universities, by many accounts, were failing, okay, some members of their communities by not uh, enforcing sexual harassment and sexual assault norms. You may not like how the Obama administration went about doing it, but you might have the recognition as a member of Congress something had to change. Okay, and do you want to uh, hamstring the agencies from responding to those conditions? I mean, think about um, hamstringing the FDA in regards to a new drug. If you force the FDA to use formal rulemaking, a formal deliberative process for every new drug, even one that could perhaps go ahead and deal with a public health crisis, Okay, well, you got democratic accountability, but now you have a whole bunch of dead people. Is that good? There's the trade-off. Yeah, the the gray area there being you also don't want them to arbitrarily yes. say, I work for this company, and they're great. Go ahead and take this drug because and we don't know what it's going to – hello, thalidomide, right, yes, where we yes, don't know what it's going to do. It gets approved for one thing and is so turns we, out does something destructive. So, But that – so is an episode, a, a different, different episode, episode of this podcast, and we will eventually get to the FDA. So to conclude this particular episode, the value of the Federal Register is this. It forces the executive branch to be transparent about what it wants to do. There are different processes depending on uh, whether or not Congress has required the agency to follow a particular type of rulemaking. But at the end of the day, if you have a chance to read the Federal Register, Understand that this is your government announcing to the public, we are thinking about doing X. What do you think about it? And that's, I mean, think about how often the government does stuff where they don't ask for our opinion. <laughs> quite, this, a, quite a bit. This is actually required because of the Administrative Procedures Act. Just a thought. Right. So people who complain about not having access to their government or not having or not being listened to, to, you should be looking at the Federal Register because yes. that will help you figure out what they're doing. Yeah. That's fabulous. Thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I love the Federal Register. I would just encourage you to read it. Um, you know? So do I. Um, and, and by and the it's way, it's online now. It's, I mean, you can get a hold of it pretty easily. We're going to give you the link and that will take you to the homepage for it. If for no other reason, you should read the Federal Register, because if you have a sleep disorder, it might put you to sleep. (laughs) I imagine there are parts that would put you to sleep. There are other things that you can read that put you to sleep, and we'll bring up those documents on another podcast. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you about other things in the Federal Register at another time, because I'm also curious about how it about the idea of presidential documents in there. Sure. Um, so, but and, 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 and we could also go ahead and discuss how um, uh, the federal courts um, 
take a look at agencies' use of the Federal Register. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> On that dark and scary note, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.